0: invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians, the very first chapter. In just a moment, I'm going to be reading the first 12 verses of the uh, epistle of the Apostle Paul to Galatians. First of all, I want to say uh, my word of welcome to Yellowstay, say how glad we are that you are here. Uh, What a privilege to have you in our midst as we pray together and labor together in the gospel. I'm looking forward to being with him in September uh, when a team of about 14 will be going to uh, Lviv, Ukraine, and be doing some teaching and work at the seminary, and we'll be able to uh, further strengthen our partnership. God bless you and uh, your family uh, during this time of travel for you. And thank you for being awake, more awake than Melissa. That's a, that's a good thing. It's uh, ironic and fitting that YALSA would be here on what we in the States designate as Memorial Day weekend uh, when we remember those who have paid the supreme price for our liberties how, how foolishly we take for granted all the liberties we enjoy as a nation and uh, a reminder that uh, it's, it's a gift, not, not something that, uh, uh, that we've worked for ourselves. We've inherited this blessing of liberty and we are, in to de- or we are indeed today grateful for all of those who've made so many sacrifices. I invite us to a time of prayer before I read the text. Our loving and faithful God, We find in you our all in all, and in your providence and care of our lives and of the world and of human history, uh, we see you working, and we thank you for all of the blessings of liberty that we enjoy, and we pray that for our sisters and brothers in Ukraine and for all places in the world. We pray today that wars might cease and that liberty might be enjoyed and justice might be established. And we pray here in our own lives, and our own nation, that you would free us from those things that would enslave us, free us today from those things that would harm us. May we come with hearts of repentance to confess before you and to come clean before you and ask you to cleanse us and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Pour grace into our lives every day. And especially today, bless the sick, bless the grieving, bless the troubled, and we ask God that you guide our minds, guide our hearts to understand your holy word, and by your spirit enlighten us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Galatians chapter 1, the first 12 verses, and I invite you to stand as I read aloud God's word. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another gospel. But there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Am I now seeking human approval? For God's approval, or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Do you ever have that sensation that your life just isn't measuring up? As it relates to God, as it relates to other people, you just feel like you can never do enough. That whatever you're doing, whatever you're not doing, is somehow not measuring up. It's a lonely feeling. It's a tough feeling, it's an honest feeling, but we all have had it from time to time. The great reformer Martin Luther went through a a deep and dark season in his life before his breakthrough of faith. He was a monk, he did religious things all day long, and yet he came to the point where he was trying to earn God's favor, he was trying to uh, turn aside what he thought was God's wrath, he was trying to somehow bargain with God and buy God's pleasure. And Luther's own testimony is that during that dark time, before his breakthrough of faith, he would try to punish himself. He would go without food until he was famished. He would sleep without covers, thinking that somehow if he suffered enough, he could pay for his own sins. And he said he would, he would sleep without covers so often that he would wake up in the night shivering. And then he finally reached a point when he said to himself, when would I ever be hungry enough to satisfy God? When would I ever be cold enough to satisfy God? When could I ever deprive myself enough to satisfy a holy and righteous God? Now we think that's over the top. But truth be told... We all play those kinds of games. In fact, there are some of us here this morning who are actually more comfortable being scolded than we are being praised. You know who you are. We actually are more comfortable being scolded than we are uh, being loved or affirmed. But if you stop and think about the ill logic of trying to earn our way to heaven or by our own efforts please Uh, pleasing a righteous God, you think about how illogical that is. If God only loves me when I'm doing good, how often really does God love me? Because even when we do good, we often have mixed motives, doing good for other than holy reasons. And if God only loves me when I'm perfect, when would God ever love me? I wonder how many people here this morning have ever held a newborn baby in your arms. That's a trip, let me tell you. A child, a grandchild, a niece, a nephew, a close friend, you just sit and look in that face. And I want to ask you a question. When you're holding that newborn baby, what does that baby have to do to make you love her? Does she have to crawl out of your arms and do good works and say holy prayers? Does she have to go out and help feed poor people? She doesn't have to do a single thing because that love that you feel is grace simply because she is, not for what she does. So why do we think that God is not at least as good as we are? Why would we ever assume that we have to jump through hoops to get God to love us? The uh, famous musician, vocal artist Bono, who leads the group U2, is an avowed Christian. And he never blinks or steps away from the subject, and a few years ago he was interviewed about his Christian faith, and he said this, he said, grace defies logic. Grace defies logic. He said, I'm in big trouble if karma is to be my judge. Karma, of course, comes to us from Eastern religions and Eastern philosophy, and karma basically says that our good deeds will be rewarded with happiness, our bad deeds will be rewarded with suffering. And Bono said, if karma is my judge, I'm in trouble. And he spoke for all of us, didn't he? But how many, how many even Baptists today think that God puts our good works in one basket and our bad works in another basket and he weighs them and says, hmm, I don't think I love that person anymore. Who knew we had Baptist Buddhists in our churches? thinking that we live by karma. The reality is, you can go into a bookstore today and you can find a little bit of a a section on religion, but you can find a great big section on self-help. We're all into self-help because we think if we can save ourselves, we can keep our pride in place. But the longer we live the more we realize self-help is no help at all. Because it's just not in us. We can't do it by ourselves. And by the way, that same Martin Luther, whom I quoted earlier, when he had his breakthrough of faith, when he came to realize that Jesus Christ had done it for him, he couldn't. He couldn't and he didn't have to do it himself, that Jesus had paid for his sins. When he realized it was faith, not works, he actually wrote a commentary on the book of Galatians, because between the book of Romans and the book of Galatians, Luther found God, found a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And in his preface to Galatians, Martin Luther said the gospel can never be taught enough, it can never be urged enough it can never be repeated enough, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he went on to say that our righteousness is nothing that we earn, it's nothing that we deserve, it's nothing that we work for, it's a gift from God that must be received by faith. And you know why Luther arrived at that conclusion? If you look at your Bibles in verses 1 and 2, he talks about God raising Jesus from the dead. And then in verse 4, he talks about Jesus Christ giving His life for us, liberating us, liberating us from this present evil age and leveraging us into God's kingdom and a permanent relationship with God. And then in verse 6, he talks about the grace of Christ. Not a Christ who loves us if, a Christ who loves us when, but a Christ who loves us in grace, who loves us even in our sin, And dies for us. But no matter how much we preach the gospel of grace. There are always people just as there were in Paul's day. There are always people who want to take a big black magic marker. And who want to write on the cross. Nice but not enough. Really nice that Jesus died for us. But it's not enough. We have to work. We have to add works to that to get saved. They take that black marker and write across the cross heroic, but not saving. What a hero Jesus was. What a martyr Jesus was, but not enough to save us. They take that black marker and they write across the cross necessary, but not sufficient. But the gospel, the real gospel, Paul says, is that Jesus Christ did it all. God did it all in Christ, and we can add nothing to it. Now, where this becomes doubly confusing is not only in our relationship with God, but our relationship with one another. Because follow this logic. If you really believe that you have to work for God's approval, then it would be a corollary that you also believe you have to work to gain other people's favor, that no one could love you in grace, that no one could love you if they really knew you, that you have to seek continually to be popular, that you have to seek continually to have the applause of human beings. Or uh, perhaps another way to think about it is if I'm insecure in God's love for me, then I'm going to seek to have that void filled in my life by getting you to approve of my life and you to tell me that I'm okay because I'm not hearing that God loves me. And this, this happened to the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Galatian church was deeply divided. Uh, Paul had preached the gospel in that region. Some people had come along after him with a whisper campaign. They started whispering to these Followers of Jesus, you know, Paul's not really an apostle, right? You know that. They said things like, he wasn't one of the original 12 apostles. He uh, didn't see Jesus in Jesus' earthly ministry like the other apostles. You know, Paul's not really the real deal. He's kind of a phony. And so at that moment, when Paul understood those rumors and those things that were seeing, saying, being said about him, he had a decision to make was he going to be enslaved to the tyranny of human approval, or was he going to live in the grace of God and not worry about what other people said? And we all face that struggle in our lives. Are we going to try to live for others' applause, or will we be content with the grace of God? And I love the way that the CEV, the Contemporary English Version, translates verse 10, where the Apostle Paul says very simply, I'm not trying to please people. I want to please God. He made that decision. He writes to the Galatians, you know, you can say things about me, but I've committed my life to pleasing God. Now, be careful. We please God not by trying, but by trusting Certainly, after we're a follower of Christ, we try, we exert effort, but that's out of devotion and love. We're working because we're saved, not in order to get saved. So, he experienced God's approval by trusting. And he didn't worry about pleasing others. You know, we don't, we don't please God by doing enough good works that we win frequent flyer points to heaven. It's what God has done for us. And Paul said, I want to please God. Here's another verse from Proverbs that I think uh, is just beautiful and speaks to to the truth. It's from the message. The fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. The fear of human opinion can absolutely paralyze you. It can absolutely frees you, and keep you from doing anything because you want so desperately to please others. But the Word of God says, trusting in God protects you from all that. I like to think of it that the grace of God sprays Teflon on our lives. You know what Teflon does? Nothing sticks, right? And so when we live in the grace of God, it's like we're covered in Teflon. Criticism doesn't stick. Defective opinions about us don't stick. We don't depend on others for blessing and approval, and and we don't depend on others for for our, our sense of well being. It's a beautiful thing when the grace of God can work in our lives in such a powerful way. To know God's forgiveness, to know that we're liberated from that darkness. And we are not counting on others for that approval. I'm indebted to Melissa Hatfield who put me on to this great quote uh, of uh, Shauna Nyquist. And uh, I love this. In fact, I, I have this in my devotional Bible at home and I read it every morning. When I begin each day drenched in that love, that centering awareness of my worth and connection to God, the day is different. I don't have to scramble or hustle. Fear dissipates because my worth isn't on the line at every moment. What a beautiful truth. What a beautiful truth that we don't have to scramble and hustle. Our worth isn't up for a vote every moment of every day. The centering, calming sense as we begin each day with the knowledge of God's unconditional love for us. How liberating is the good news of Jesus Christ? How freeing is the message of Jesus that God has set us free from the bondage of fear and from the bondage of human approval and from the bondage of our own self-condemnation. And so what happens is that uh, there's this freedom in Christ that brings a detachment, a detachment from peer pressure, a detachment from the craving of being liked, being popular, even being admired and respected. It frees us from that detachment of, of having to have others' applause or even worrying about what others think of us. Well, the baseball season is well underway, and I haven't used a baseball analogy in a while, so uh, at least a couple of weeks, so here goes. David Ravecki was a uh, wonderful uh, baseball pitcher who at the same time as he was in the major leagues pitching baseball uh, was fighting cancer. And he he was a follower of Christ, strong Christian. And one time in an interview, he, he shared these words. He said, No matter what the box score would read at the end of the game, my relationship with God would still be intact. Nothing could change that. God was more important to me than pleasing crowds. No matter what the box score said at the end of the day, my relationship with God was still intact. Pleasing God was more important than pleasing crowds. What a marvelous, liberating truth that no matter what the box score says at the end of each day, and the box score is pretty dismal at times, God's grace, God's love, my relationship to Jesus Christ is intact, not because of what I've done, but because of who God is. And to find that centering pleasure of God, that centering grace of God, frees us, that we don't have to live as people-pleasers, that we live in freedom in that grace.